and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Some parts of life are more binary than fluid. Woman can't be a little bit pregnant. We can't be more or less dead. We might like it if we could be considered more or less sinful, but it doesn't work that way. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty, with the sixth part of this message entitled All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. And let's now prepare our hearts as we go into the teaching of God's Word. Let's pray together. And Father, we are opening a very difficult text as we have, many of us, struggled with this, this whole concept for years and years of, of your doing all of our salvation. It's, it's just hard sometimes to understand some of the details of this. In fact, we admit we can't understand it all, but we're gonna ask you, teach us and feed us well through this time. And I pray that as a result, it wouldn't be that we would just sharpen some beliefs to be more in line with what your word says, but that we would have that happen so that we may love you more, we may follow you better, we may honor you in a way we've never honored you. May we look at our salvation and particularly our savior of that salvation. And may we find ourselves more in love with you because of what you have done for us. And we ask that in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. We're in a text that uh, is Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning there now. This is a text that I taught to this congregation 10 years ago. In doing so, I entitled it, The Good News Regarding the Bad News. Now, utilizing that title, I'm going to tell you what the good news is, and we're going to read it. It's in verse 28 of Romans chapter eight, it reads like this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now for the Christian, that should be great news. It's saying that whatever happens in your and my life experience, we can have the assurance from what God has to say that he has a plan to take all of those things that that we see that are even so hard and difficult and unimaginable that God would allow something like that to happen, but, but to realize that God has promised that everything will then work together for good, not for anybody, but for those that are his, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, that is a very good news. Now, here's the question. Do you believe it's true? Do you really believe it's true? Here would be a question just for you to answer to yourself. When something really, really bad happens, or for that matter, really things that just disappoint you, uh, interrupt you, whatever it may be, come along in your life experience, when that very thing happens, how do you respond? I give you two options. No show of hand, but just answer to yourself. Would you be more likely to answer by saying, oh no, 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 exclamation point. Or perhaps, would you have considered the truth that we're teaching here long enough, hard enough, believe it enough that you would say, oh no, but, and then with that, you would think these thoughts, God, I trust you that even this that I hate, 
is going to be turned into good in some form, in some fashion. You see, there would be a lot of us, I would assume, a part of this church who have been taught this kind of teaching now for quite a while. And if you ask, well, what do you believe about Romans 8, 28, true or false, would say, oh, I believe it's true and I know the verse. I can even maybe quote the verse. But then at the same time, when that bad thing happens, we find ourselves never saying, but we just say, oh no, exclamation point. That's it. No, this is bad. This is going to be the worst thing. This is going to have more negative implications. This is going to be all bad. And next thing you know, we're thinking just like the world would think. You know, if you've been around this church long that I teach out of Romans chapter six, quite often through our whole journey curriculum, it's through our discipleship. And we learn to appropriate the power of God's Spirit in those three key words in Romans, know, consider, present, meaning that we have to consider what we know. It's not just good enough to know it. you got to bring it back. you got to consider it. Same here. We can know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All things work together for good. I know that. I know that. But when the difficult time comes, it's like we don't consider what we know, and it's just, oh, no, can't be. How about you that are seekers here? What do you think when you hear this? Do you tend to, to think, oh, this is, this is the Christian's way. It's, a, it's their expression of denial. It's escapism. I bet they use this as kind of a, a self-help form so they don't feel so bad when all these difficult things happen in life. Well, Zeker, I'm going to encourage you. You listen on. Because the rest of this time, we're going to be talking about why we believe this. It's not a hope so. Want it to be so. It's because we know so because of what God says in the next two verses. And so with that, we're going to read verses 29 and 30. Here is the why behind the what. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. So as every week in this series, this is the sixth of a nine-week series, I invite you to take out your insert, the wrong one here, the insert, the points to remember. Look at it. I'm going to use repetition as a teaching aid here. Repeat, repeat, repeat. You see the four secrets to a satisfying life. If you're new with us, so you'll know we're at number three. We did the first two in previous series. Each year we do a little bit of Romans. Now we're number three, trusting in God's sovereignty. And I'll tell you this, if you're new with us, you just take those four, look at the four, and realize that's where I need to get in life. Where I can say, of my life, these four are descriptive. This is true in my daily life to the majority degree of time. That's what we want in our life. Now, Having said that, you see the outline. There are three presuppositions that are very, very important to go into the teaching of the doctrines that are included in this text, such as words like foreknowledge that we'll be covering today, or predestination in the next message. I'll tell you what, I've said it over and over. Never, never, never would I jump into that information, teach the truth of God's word as I see it, the truth, I would never do that 
if I hadn't preceded it with three presuppositions, three foundations. Here they are, the three presuppositions. First, God is sovereign. Number two, God has a perfect plan. And then this number three, God engineers an infallible process to assure his perfect plan, which is going to be introduced in a minute under the term, if you're new with us, the golden chain of salvation, five links in that chain. But this, let's look first at the three foundations, three foundations. First, we have to understand something about God's sovereignty. We have to know about God's, our man's free will. And then thirdly, what we started in last message and we pick up now this week, and that is man's fall. We look at man's fall. Now I'm going to pause there before I tell you the, the five chain links or mention them that are in your outline. We, uh, we addressed three of five questions having to do with the fall this last week. Now this week, we're going to pick up with the last two questions about the fall, and then we're going to move into this first chain or the first link in the chain called the golden chain of salvation. I want you to look at it. Five chain links are these. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and then glorification. Now, when we addressed free will a few weeks ago, we said that man has a free will. For sure, he has the freedom to choose what he or she desires. That's what free will is. Man has not lost his free will. But we ended saying this. He and she did lose what? Moral ability. All of our moral ability relinquish. It's gone. And that is the ability to do good. And that's where the big question comes. Because there's some theologians who are going to say there's a lot of good in a lot of people. And there are others that are going to say there's no good in any person. And we hear that and say, what a negative, terrible way of thinking. How horrible is that? That's what we're teaching here. So you need to know that. We are teaching that there's no good in men. Now what you have to decide is, is that what the Bible says? And I'm talking to Christians who hold to the Bible as our authority. Is that truly what the Bible teaches or not? And that's why we have to go from free will into the discussion of the fall. Now, when we talk about the fall, we're referring to the time when our four parents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. And as a result, as Romans chapter 5 says, all have sinned. We're brought into this world in that fallen condition. So here are the first three questions that we've looked at. We did these last week. If man lacks the moral ability to choose Christ, is it fair for God to hold man responsible for what he cannot do? Number two question, if man lost his ability to choose Christ because of Adam's sin, how can all people be held responsible for what he did? Now, Romans chapter five is the text you want to go to. You can go back and, and, and pick up our podcast, Perimeter.org. Uh, slash, um, I guess it would be um, sermons or teaching, uh, sermons maybe, I forget what it is. But you'll go on, you'll see it. Uh, pick that up and, and you, can, you can find out where all we've been teaching. But understand this, it is because he is our, and the word is representative. 
He's our representative. He represents us. But there comes the big question. Well, that's not fair. If he's representing us and he does wrong, why do we? And then I ended by teaching, I think, one of the most important truths in all of Christianity, and that is the beauty of this thing called corporate personality, where God treats a whole family because of the action of one person. We hate it at first sight. We learn about it and we love it because that's where we learn and understand that Jesus is the second Adam and because of his perfect righteousness, we are made perfectly righteous. Go back, catch that if you have missed it. Now, number three question, is it fair to pay the consequence for the sin of a representative we didn't choose? We've already addressed it. So with that now, we pick up in the fourth of five questions about the fall. Number four, is it accurate to say that because man sins, he is not good and will not choose Christ? There's the great debate right there, folks. The great debate. I want you to be aware that there are godly, much more godly than me, I'm convinced. There are people that are outstanding scholars, brilliant people, far smarter than me. They would not agree with me in teaching what I'm teaching. It's only fair that you know that. I'll tell you this. There are men and women in history far, far more godly than me, far more brilliant than me, who would teach identically to what I'm teaching. So you say, well, how do I know? How do we figure this out? Here's my thought. You need to hear both sides. That's only fair. Now, had you lived centuries ago up till, you know, just a few hundred years ago, you would have heard what I'm teaching as the majority report. The latter 200 years, oh, that majority report has really flipped. It's changed totally now. And so maybe they didn't hear the other side years and years and years ago through the greats that you can go through history from Origen to Augustine to Calvin. You can go up through, through um, uh, Spurgeon. You look at men today like uh, John Piper, Tim Keller. They're going to all teach as we're teaching here. And so there are tremendous teachers that hold both sides. But you need to at least say, I know, I know the teaching from the historic, as I believe it, historic position, all right? Now, in doing so, let's, uh, let's try to figure this question out. Uh, is it accurate to say that man is not good, will not choose Jesus? The answer, absolutely. I'm going to say yes. That's what's called total depravity. Now, you need to know this. Total depravity means that, that there's not one part of any, any person that ever lives, there's not one part that's good. Does not mean we're as bad as we could be. You got to know that. Uh, we could be much worse. Uh, but it's total depravity in that every aspect of our life is tainted with sin. Therefore, we would say it is appropriate to say there is none good, no, not even one. In fact, that is the very words of Romans chapter 3, verse 12. Luke verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 19 says, there's none good except God. 
Now, what we're dealing with here is what would be a relative view of goodness that man has. In that sense, I say it too. Oh, that's, a, that's a good man right there. You want to dig deeper? Do I believe there's really true good? No, not from God's perspective. See, God's perspective is going to look at the external and going to look at the internal motivation of the heart. Oh, that woman did a good thing, but did she do the good thing for the highest of all motives, for the glory of God? That's where the problem comes in, outside of Christ. Once the heart has been changed, then that is possible, but we don't have the moral ability to do that. That's what we understood in the fall. We lost the moral ability. Now, we seek so often God's benefits and we think we're seeking God. No, we're often, as we think of ourselves, oh, I'm really seeking God now. We want to look, am I seeking God or am I seeking his benefits? Now, we think that we seek God first and then we find Christ. You look at scripture, I don't think you find that in scripture. It's actually other. Here, Ephesians 2, several verses. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says it this way. And you were, before becoming a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Trespasses and sins, two different ways, falling short, going beyond God's perfect standard. So you were dead. Interesting word, dead. Next text. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were, and again, he mentions this idea that we are dead. Interesting and important word, dead in our transgression. And then it said, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. Now, here's an interesting thing. You keep seeing this, we were dead. And then it says, but he does something. In this text, he makes us alive. Now, in the Greek language of the New Testament Greek, you're gonna find that there are there are moods for the same word. You can put a, a mood which is passive and the mood which can be active, active and passive. Active is saying that this person did something and to me, I was passive and it happened to me. That's the language of the scriptures throughout when you see this. Let's go to the next text. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and here it is again, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. So the whole idea is the, the scriptures are gonna keep painting this picture that here we are in a condition of death. What can you do when you're dead? What can you do? You can do nothing. What does he do? He makes us alive. That's something that only he can do. A person cannot make themselves alive. How many of you have heard this? If you've been a part of this church for a while, I teach it regularly in our investigative forums, but, but uh, I use the story. Uh, it's the story of my childhood growing up with a, my mother's father was a funeral home director. What a delightful occupation to live under, huh? So uh, my brother and, and, and I, we, we went there. It was pretty close to where we lived. We went to the funeral home all the time. It was our playground. We loved playing at the funeral home, and that was the light of our day. Can we go to the funeral home? Can we go to the funeral home? I mean, it's a great place. We hide and seek. Man, you got the casket room. You got the embalming room. You got all these viewing rooms. I mean, what a place for kids to play. I'm telling you. <laughs> so it was nothing for us to see death. We saw corpse 
all the time. We didn't think a thing about them. But I do remember as a little kid, that first memory of thought, when they roll someone in, and there they lay. They may be a 28-year-old, sturdy, strong-looking man. And I say, how do you know he's dead? Maybe he just died of a heart attack. How, do you, how can you tell he's not asleep? How do you know? I can't tell the difference. And then there, there were those rare times when maybe you were there and they brought that victim of a, a death that was not found till maybe months later. And they bring that corpse in and you can smell before you ever see. And when you see, you're repulsed to say, ah, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Too bad to even look at. Then the question, which of the two is most dead? What do you think? Well, they're equally dead. Yeah, but one stinks. One looks so, and one looks so nice, and one smells fine, and one, but, 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 they're still both dead. Now, what can you do to get them to come alive? Nothing. We can do nothing. God could, he would have to make somebody come alive. And that's the story of what happens in the hearts of human beings. It's called, in theological circles, regeneration. And I hope you'll kind of take this and just consider to think first comes regeneration, then comes faith. If we think of our salvation that, oh, you know what? My salvation, it begins with my faith. You're going to have a Christian life, but it's going to be different than the one who says, oh, you know what? I have faith, but before I ever could have faith, it began with regeneration. This one began with me. This one began with God. It'll make all the difference in the world as you see your salvation. Now, I think you're going to begin reading Scripture in a different way now. You're going to see passages of Scripture you've probably read and didn't think about too much. It's going to be like that, you know, the pictures you see that have two different, uh, two different images that are mixed into one, and, and you look at it and say, what do you see there? And you say, oh, I see, a, I see a very old, old woman there. And you show it to somebody else, what do you see? I see a very young, beautiful woman. And then you can show them, oh, but let me, let me show you the other one. And then you can begin to see, oh, wow, 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 now I see the other one. I bet that begins to happen with a lot of us here. As we begin to read scriptures, and trust me, these are only a few of very, very many. In the book of John, just in the book of John, four texts. One, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one whom com who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Verse 44 of chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's regeneration. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 65, and he was saying, for this reason I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Then one last text, chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. What? But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit so that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
Watch as you read the Bible in the future. Let's look at number five question, though. Very briefly, it doesn't take long, but this one is, is it possible to be elected by God and still not come to faith in Christ? The answer to that would be no. Uh, you cannot resist a saving grace. A daily grace, yeah, we do that every day. But according to the teaching of the Bible, you, you're not going to be able to resist the grace of God's redemption. It just won't happen uh, because it is, it is irresistible. It truly is. Maybe the way to understand that is all he's doing is giving us the ability to choose. And now that ability, we have a want. We have a desire, and then our free will does choose. So many ask the question, well, doesn't this cut against free will? Oh, not at all. Free will is very active. That's why we then choose him. It's irresistible. Maybe an illustration. They all break down to some degree, but it'd be like, a, let's take a, a little four-year-old grandchild, a little grandchild or one of your children or whatever, maybe a four-year-old, whatever, and a little kid comes up to you. Can you imagine you know their very, very, very favorite candy. They are always begging for it. They're never too full for this candy. They love this candy. And you say to your little grandchild or your child, here, I want you to eat. I want to offer you this candy bar that you love so much. Here you go. Can you imagine a little three or four-year-old say, no, I'm, I'm watching my weight. Well, maybe there is a weird kid somewhere that does that. I don't know. So let's make it a little bit better. Let's imagine that someone has gone blind and their desire, their desire is to be able to see. And they get, now all they're looking for, they don't know who to turn to to find sight, but, but they, they would love to see. And something happens their eyes are closed and they're told they have sight. And a person going, I'm going to keep my eyes closed forever. I will never look again. No, that's irresistible. You would open your eyes. Very similarly, God's grace. When God gives us a regenerated heart to see the grace of God, oh my goodness, we want to see it. And we will do so. Now, that ends what I would like to teach about that particular foundation called the fall. Now we're going to turn our attention to what most people are saying. This is what I've been wanting to understand. Let's get into these words like foreknowledge, predestination, calling, and so forth. Particularly those first two. So let's look at this first one, foreknowledge. We'll go ahead and, and take that one. Foreknowledge, and it's going to come out of the book of Romans, again, 8, this time, verse 29. Let's read it again. For those whom he foreknew, first one, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So that's what we're looking at, the very first one, foreknew. Then in the next message, we'll pick up on predestination. At first reading, when you read this text and you read the very word foreknew, you can't help by, because of our use of the word to know and because of what we think seems normal and right. We're going to say, oh, this is saying that God looked ahead in time. He saw what we were going to do 
And then he finds out that these are going to choose me and those that will choose me, then I will first choose them before they can choose me. That is not what this text is teaching at all. You cannot make this text teach that. Even if that is a truth, it does not come from this text at all. It can't. You see, the, uh, the word foreknow here, the definition is to forelove. It has nothing to do ever about mental alertness. It's not like I have come to realize something. That's not this word. A totally different word would be used. This word is referring to a very deep, intimate love. Now, the Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament to counterpart, the, or the counterpart to this same word in the New Testament when it says that Abraham knew Sarah. That's how it's being used. He knew her. If you read the text, it's not, oh, I know you. We met before. No. He's saying, I love you. And it was a, it was a, a reference of intimacy and love. That's what this is referring to in a divine way. God for loved us. Now, I'm going to introduce you to one other theological term that can't hurt you. Even if you don't want it, it won't, it won't hurt. But it, it is an important word. I think it's a hermeneutic. Many of you don't know what a hermeneutic is. A hermeneutical principle is a principle in which you learn how to interpret accurately the Word of God. There are certain principles that you always want to follow to make sure you're handling the Word accurately. So in my graduate school training. We had to learn all the hermeneutics and figure out so that you can read scripture and go, oh, oh, no, you don't do that with a text. That would be very inappropriate. Well, here's the hermeneutic I want you to hear. This is a quote out of the book um, Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul that I've already mentioned many times. This is what he says. He says, when a list, keep in mind the five links of the chain, there's a list, such as these five actions of God in the text is given and the text allows for either the word all or the word some to be implied. Then only one of the two must be consistently used throughout. Does that make sense? I'll explain it. If you go to our text, all whom he foreknew, he predestined. And all he predestined, he called. And all he called, and just go right through them, justified and glorified. But the word all is not used. So well, what do you put? Do you put the word some? It could. You, contact, you just have to figure that out by the teaching of all the rest of Scripture. So it, maybe it means, and some that he, that he foreknew, he predestined. And some he predestined, he called. And some that he called, he justified. And some he called, he glorified? All of a sudden, we all go, that can't be. That's why there's no real choice but to say all whom he, and you work through it that way. And you're saying that every person that he foreloved, it's the basis of that forelove. Every one of them, he predestined. Everyone he predestined, he called them. After he called them, every person he called, that's going to help us understand the word 
calling, what that means. Everyone he called, he justified, which means become followers of Jesus. And every follower of Jesus, he is going to glorify, which the Bible teaches so clearly in so many other places. Now, having understood that hermeneutic, I'm now going to simply invite you to a homework assignment that I have hoped you would not do beforehand. And that's to read Romans chapter 9. If you've never as a Christian read Romans chapter 9, I'm going to urge you, put on your seatbelt before you read it. Because it's going to say things that feel very, very wrong. But I think you're going to find out it is a glorious text. I want you to read it before we come back together. And that won't be next week because next week Caleb will be preaching. Caleb on our teaching team. And uh, I'm going to be inviting you to pray for me. I'm going to be preaching in my hometown of Gadsden, Alabama. I have my 50th high school reunion. And they've asked me to preach on Sunday as an event following the uh, reunion time. So uh, I get to talk to a bunch of very bad people in the past. That's all I know. <laughs> But we will be addressing two questions when we come back the following week. We'll have our final three weeks of the series back to back then. And here are the questions we'll look at. If God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, does this not mean that God destines some people to hell? How about number two? If God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, upon what is that choice based? That question will rock your world, the answer, when you find it. In my opinion, that's where you fall in love with your Savior. Speaking of which, I close this message as I do everyone in this series. Why are we studying this? Why do we study? Well, I would say, as I've already mentioned, because it may well be right. It may be true. And you need to hear if there's truth that you have not been told about God's Word you want to know. But I'm going to draw you even deeper there. Psalm 107, verse 43. Listen to the words. It says, The wise consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Can I suggest that many, many, many of us as Christians, that we're not considering the loving kindness of the Lord when those bad things strike our lives. In fact, we don't for a reason, and here's the reason. Because we have big desires for our life. And those desires, many of us, have looked from the kingdom of God and we've tilted downward and now we're looking at the world in which we live and we're saying, this is where I get my desires met. And the desires become so strong that the little adage becomes reality in our lives. A person's morality will eventually dictate their theology. And now all of a sudden, these desires that are so strong, we now, in our minds, consider them their needs. I need perfect health. I need a perfect family. I need a great income. These are all needs that I have and I cannot be happy in life 
if I don't have my needs met. And I know that God must want my needs to be met if he's a good God. And then tragedy. Tragedy hits. There are not many weeks, sometimes I would say days, but there are not many weeks in my life as a pastor of a church that I don't get the, the, the call that I got this morning. So-and-so was tragically killed today. And I'm telling you, you hear that and you go, what is God doing? And now we begin to translate this whole idea of, okay, that's my need. And God let my need to be unmet. And therefore, God's not so good. We don't think of the loving kindness of God. No, we, we, we think of circumstances. That's where our focus is so often. And the text so rightly says, you want to be wise? Then you need to consider the loving kindness of God. Well, here's my question. How loving is he in our salvation? Oh, anybody would admit, well, he's loving if he saves us. That's a good thing. But how do I view my salvation? Do I view my salvation as something that for the big part, it's what I start, I initiate, I call, I invite, and God is good that he comes and he says, I'll come rescue you. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful love. But what about when I'm not calling? What about when I'm drowning and I can't understand it? What about when I'm, I'm dying in whatever means of capacity, I'm dying in life and I don't even see it and the very one who could rescue me, I am spitting in his face and I'm saying, get out of my life. I don't want you. Leave me alone. And all of a sudden, that God says, I'm going to rescue you in spite of what you've done to me. And they initiate, they do everything to save. Oh, let me tell you. Which one's the better savior? Oh, goodness, there's no doubt. So I'll tell you, when you began to believe that your salvation originated with God, not with yourself, but with God, there's going to be a lot less struggle with performance. I'll guarantee it. Because he rescued you, he initiated it at your very worst, dead in your trespasses and sins. Pride, oh, that pride. Oh, look at me. Why don't you come to faith? Man, why are you so against God? Why are you this way? What's wrong with you? You can't see this. Is this not? No, that goes away. And we say, oh, but the grace of God, there go I. Tell you this, you just will not see your salvation being merited in any form or fashion. And I'll tell you what will happen. That big, important, all-important American dream that we're after, that big bubble, we pop it real quick and say, no, that's not what life's about. That's not why I'm living. No reason to do so. You will embrace a new understanding of grace that you have never, ever experienced before. As I've mentioned before, you wake up in a different way. And it's not, oh, what can I do and accomplish and get? And how about, what do I get? Now you begin to start thinking with your head tilted up. Oh, the kingdom of God. What a wonderful, wonderful place that I have an inheritance. You'll have a new motivation, a new motivation for obedience. And it'll be the highest level of appreciation. Oh, would you have appreciated that salvation, which God did very little? Yeah. But think how you appreciate 
That salvation that's beyond imagination. See, I'm convinced it is a very poor modern theology today that is crippling our spiritual formation. And if you want to be wise, a word to the wise, consider the loving kindness of God. One other text says the very same thing. Isaiah 17, 10, do not forget the God of your salvation, assuming you understand your salvation. Seeker, worth looking into. Maybe this stuff's all our thinking. It's all just a bunch of, wouldn't hurt you to look into it, investigate it. Christian, you believe it's true that God is who he is, that he sent his Savior? Then all of us, seeker, Christian life, go stare at the cross a little bit. Consider what he's done. And then with this kind of teaching from God's great truth, you'll start peering behind that cross to see what came before it, a love that he put on us before the foundation of the world that we will never fully comprehend. Enough love that he would predestine us to be conformed to the image of his son. That will rock your world, right? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that our very world, this world in which we live, would be rocked, and that we would see it for what it really is, a beautiful, a good, a wonderful creation that you've made, but one that is broken and never attended, intended to be the place of our salvation now. Lord, this is in you and in you alone. We look to you and we invite you. Would you show us yourself if seekers here Show us who you are. We would even call upon you now. We want the benefits. Maybe we don't want you, but God, we do want the benefit, and we invite you now. Open our hearts. For those of us that are Christians, that our minds are kind of spinning a bit and saying, yeah, but how, and how could this be? Lord, remind us how big you are and how little we are. Allow us to do this thing you love called faith and to put our trust fully in what you have to say. Grant that, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' strong and precious name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.